Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Welcome to the Engaging Mission Show with Brian Ensminger. We are bringing missions home. Each week, we hear from missionaries, ministry leaders, disciple makers, and church planters as they share about God's work in their lives and ministries. Like us, they are ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Welcome, world changers. This is the Engaging Missions Show, and I'm your host, Brian Ensminger. Today, we have something new. In over 100 episodes and nearly 70 interviews, I have never talked to someone who ministers specifically on a college campus, but that changes today. Our guest today is going by the name Mateo for security reasons, because he's not quite sure where God's going to call him next. He was born in Colombia, raised Catholic when he was young, and then moved to the U.S. at about middle school age. He went went to school to be a chemical engineer, and now he's spending his time ministering to and discipling the students of the University of Florida campus. Mateo, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Brian. It's an honor to be here. So as we get started, I like to spend the first portion of our interview getting to know you. It helps us to kind of connect with you personally because, you know, while some people who are listening may be connected to you, a lot of us probably don't know you. So I know that you, you're in Florida right now, and I also know that you didn't grow up there. You grew up in Columbia. Can you share a little bit more about where you grew up? Yeah, so I was born in Cali, Colombia. It's one of the largest cities in the country, and I was born to a upper-middle-class family. I'm the oldest of two boys, and uh, yeah, I just grew up in Colombia until I was about 10 is when my family came over here. Okay, and what, what was it that brought your family to the U.S.? Well, it's, it's quite a long story. That, that bridge version is due to some of the kind of political issues that are going on in the country uh, and my dad's business back in Colombia. We, we came here. Uh, seeking asylum. So we, we were threatened by one of the guerrilla groups in Colombia and came here oh, as wow. refugees. Wow. So so your, your dad was a, uh, a business owner there and then came to the U.S. I'm, I'm assuming, well, I'm assuming he wasn't a business owner when he came came here. Can you share a little bit more about what that experience was like? Yeah, you know, it was it was quite humbling, and I would say more so for my parents than for my brother and I as we were still pretty young. But essentially, my dad had a, a business where he imported a lot of food derivatives from Mexico. And so our, our diet in Colombia, particularly for breakfast, we eat a lot of different types of breads. And he would essentially sell the raw materials to a lot of bakeries and supermarkets to, to make all this stuff. And uh, so he had quite a large company, and we pretty much lost everything overnight. And we came to the States with nothing. And 
Uh, I remember kind of the first jobs my parents had was my my dad was mowing lawns and and my dad was cleaning toilets for a living and and so we really went from having whatever we wanted in Colombia to to almost having nothing and uh, so it was quite of a a humbling experience. I got to see really my parents sacrifice a lot for my brother and I just to make sure we could get a good education and and um, keep the food on the table uh, was really living kind of week to week. So, you know, as you were sharing the the story about the the transition that your dad made, that reminded me when um, before I was in the job that I have right now, I spent some time managing fast food restaurants. And okay. one of the things that was really an eye opener for me was the day that I realized that one of the the Hispanic guys that I had working for me um, in in that in basically a kind of a a day labor type position. I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. day labor, but it was kind of similar to that yeah. in, in Mexico, he had been a high ranking accountant. And for yeah. me, it was really hard to process the idea that the only difference was there. He had a certain level of connection status and language capability. And here that wasn't really given to him. Yeah. Do, do you know, was that hard for your parents to deal with? It, it was very hard. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, it's it's really amazing. I think it's only because of Gab that they they stuck together. Because um, I mean, you can't imagine just the the high pressure situation. Literally, I, I just remember weeks where uh, we didn't know where food was coming from, and uh, literally there was no money in the bank account. I remember just God miraculously just somebody would drop off a bunch of groceries at our door, and uh, we had no idea who it was, and. And so it was, it's, it's quite, um, it's quite the difference going from, uh, a time where in Colombia, you know, we had several properties and, uh, you know, the culture back then is back there is where, uh, you know, you have hired help in your house. And so, you know, we, we had people that would live with us to, uh, to cook and to laundry and clean the house and do all this stuff. And in essence, now my parents are here doing what we had these people do for us in Colombia. Mm. And so it was quite, uh, quite humbling. And I really think uh, it was part of God's plan to, to humble my family and draw us near to himself. So... Can, can you share more about that plan? I, I had a specific way I was going to frame this question, but okay. um, as, as I'm thinking about it, just just share a little bit more about that, about God's plan and what he did when you guys came over. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, the verse, and this verse just came to mind as we were talking in, in Acts 17, when, when Paul talks about how God has appointed a particular time and place for every person to be, and, and kind of he moves people around the globe just so that we might, uh, reach out to him and find him, even though he's not far away from anybody. And, um, you know, in Colombia, we had everything, and God was surrounding us with uh, God-fearing people who loved them. We we grew up just kind of being part of the culture. You know, as, as you know, uh, most Latin American countries are, are culturally Christian, mainly Catholic. And so we just grew up in a religious environment. I grew up going to Catholic school, and so I knew the Bible stories. I had to go to Mass uh, during class. And and so I, I grew up hearing it, but I really 
have no clue who God was. You know, I, I had no idea about his love or his grace and even how to know him. And neither did my parents. And when, when we got here, it just seemed like every single person that would come around us to help us was a follower of Jesus. Hmm. And it was as a result of that, that my parents really started seeking to, to reevaluate their faith. And, uh, and so actually the guy that my dad ended up working for, uh, in his lawn business ended up leading my dad to faith. Uh, after which my mom came to faith and, and for me, it really took quite some time, uh, because back then all I lived for was money. That was, that was what I was modeled for me in Colombia. My dad is one of 12. And, uh, so he has a very large family and I would say kind of the characteristic there is there's a lot of, uh, money issues and rivalry because of it. And I just grew up thinking, you know, if you got money, you're somebody, if you don't, you're not. And, um, and I saw my parents kind of turning to God as a kind of like a last resort. And, and it took about two and a half years for me of just observing how Jesus changed their life, the way they treated each other, the way they treated my brother and I, and really seeing that there was a, a joy, a, a real joy that was in fate uh, that started just kind of characterizing our family and a unity that was never there when we had everything we wanted. And even though the problems didn't go away, you know, there was, there was this joy and this peace and this harmony in our household that just wasn't there before. And, uh, and so I just remember as, you know, I was 13, 14, uh, I just realized, man, my, my parents have something I don't have. And, uh, this Jesus thing is, is for real. And, um, and so it was kind of a process for me. I don't, I wouldn't say I remember like it was this time and place, but, but kind of that two and a half year period really brought me to the point where, where I would say I understood my sin and I realized, man, I need Jesus. And, um, so yeah, so it was, I I think had we, I mean, God can do whatever he wants, you know, but I think it it really took bringing my parents to, to the point where, where they really didn't know what to do. They had nowhere else to turn, um, that they turned to God and he changed their lives. Wow, that's great. That was one story of a really challenging season in your life. But as I was watching some of the materials you sent me, there was also a documentary where you shared the story of a very challenging time. I think it was right around the time when you were finishing up your college. Uh, Would you mind sharing that story with us and then also highlight how God got you through that time? Yeah, well, you know, even though I I came to know uh, Jesus when I was about close to 14, I, I didn't really mature a lot in my faith until I got to college. And so I, I was involved with some stuff at church, but just different things kept happening where, where, uh, I wasn't really following Jesus wholeheartedly. And when I got to, to university of Florida, where I'm serving now, uh, I got to meet this, uh, this girl, her name was Catherine. And uh, I just fell in love with Catherine right away. She uh, she was great. I mean, she was beautiful inside and out. And 
uh, she loved Jesus. And so, uh, you know, I realized if I had any shot <laughs> to be with her, I, I had to get my act together when it came to me and God. And, and she was going to this Bible study. So I started going to the same Bible study and, and really God used her to draw me back to himself and reteach me a lot about his grace and his love. And, and, uh, and so Catherine and I started dating and it was really through that relationship that I got involved, uh, with the ministry I'm serving at now. And I really, I got a hold for the great commission, uh, through our time together in, in college. And, uh, when I was getting ready to graduate in 2012, um, Catherine and I were were just kind of starting to plan for a life together and thinking about marriage. And I, I was off in Virginia. I, the Lord just blessed me and gave me a job uh, for the summer, um, an engineering job. And the plan was I was saving up for for a ring to come back. I was going to graduate in December, and and unfortunately, that summer, uh, Catherine was driving from. Um, from Tallahassee to Gainesville, and uh, she lost control of her car and uh, was in an accident, and and she wasn't able to get into surgery in time, and and she passed away, and um, that was just like my whole world collapsed. You know, it was like, man, I had talked to her thirty minutes ago, and now she's gone, and uh, that just wrecked wrecked my world. I. I left my internship early and came home and and really started a, a grieving process and really a wrestling with God. I, I, I couldn't understand why God would allow that to happen. Uh, you know, here's a girl that, that loved them and, and uh, you know, we were considering giving our, our life together to, to serve him wherever he would lead. And, and um, it just, it just didn't make much sense to me. And so I came back. I decided not to graduate, but I took a year uh, to be a part-time student and really seek the Lord and try to heal. And, and you know, I, I think that the thing that, that helped me the most was early on after, um, after Catherine died, uh, I think there, there were a couple key incidents that I would say God really used to help me um, heal. And um, the first thing was, I, as I was thinking about all the promises that people would tell me, you know, whenever you go through a tragedy, the last thing you want to hear is people quoting Romans eight twenty eight to you. Yeah, uh, you know, I was like, you know, just be quiet. You don't know what you're talking about. And uh, that's the last thing that's, you know, God's going to work out all things together for good according to those or for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I just started thinking about those things and people started saying them and I really didn't want to hear them. And uh, one of those times God just put this thought in my mind that said, uh, man, not only does God love me and he have has a plan for me. But if that promise is true for everybody, then it was true for Catherine also. Mm. And, uh, and again, I just put this thought that uh, he was saying, you know, Mateo, I, I love Catherine more than you could ever love her, mm. more than you could ever imagine you could love her. 
And, uh, and I, you know, if, if God has what's best for me in mind, well, he has what's best for her in mind as well. And, um, and if God deemed that that was, you know, she, he sent her here and she did her purpose and now the best thing for her was to be with him. Uh, then who am I to be upset at God for, for doing what's best for Catherine? And, uh, and that thought really helped me uh, to know that, man, God loves her more than me. And if the promise for me is true, that he's going to work out all things together for good, then it's got to be true for her also. Uh, and that was incredibly helpful, um, just getting my mind right. Um, and then I, I, another thing that really helped me uh, was, uh, I just remember this this particular pastor shortly after that happened. Uh, it was after God had given me that thought. He really sat me down and he said, hey, you know, he, he had compassion on me. He, he encouraged me, but, uh, but he just very bluntly uh, looked me in the eyes and said, hey, man, this is where, where the rubber meets the road. You know, it's easy to praise God when all is going well. And, um, but really, it's where, where we're going to see and when the world will get to see whether or not your faith is real. And, um, and I just, I just had this thought um, that somebody shared with me was that, um, you know, our suffering is so costly. It, it hurts so bad that we should make it count, uh, you know, because regardless of how you react to it, it's going to be painful. And, uh, and if it's going to hurt so bad, why not suffer well? instead of suffering poorly. And and after talking to this pastor, I really made it, I, I just remember making a conscious choice and, and just pleading with God. I said, God, I, I don't want to be here right now. I don't want to be going through this right now. But, but you know, here it is, and, and I, I don't want to waste it because it's just hurting so badly right now. And, and so that was, that was extremely helpful, just having that attitude. And, uh, and I think the verse that God gave me personally, uh, one time where I was really hurting, um, that he really just showed me that he was with me, was in, in Psalm 56. And, uh, and you know, Catherine used to do this thing that, that would drive me nuts. She would just randomly open up the Bible, and, uh, which is a terrible way to read the Bible, you know, just open it and pick a passage. And, uh, but she would do this all the time. And what drove me nuts was that every time she would walk away with something that was like exactly what she needed, you know, uh, I would do it and it would be, I'd start reading about people killing themselves, you know, like Lazarus hung himself. I'm like, Oh Lord, you know, what are you trying to say? So it would drive me crazy. And so I was just so down one day, and I said, you know, Lord, I, I, I was, you know, just weeping before the Lord. And I said, yeah, I just really need something. Tell me something. And I just opened up my Bible and I opened up to Psalm 56. And here David's complaining about um, it's when, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. 
and uh, and he's complaining and complaining. And then in verse 8, he says, uh, and this is the, the NLT I'm reading. It says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. And you have recorded each one in your book. And I just got this picture of God right beside me as I was just weeping in my bed, reading my Bible. Uh, that here's God in heaven looking down on me and uh, kind of with a book open, just keeping track of my of my sorrows and saying, man, today on this day, Mateo had a really rough day and, and he was really missing Catherine. And, uh, and then a picture of God beside me just collecting all my tears in a bottle. And, uh, and I just had a picture uh, of what it would be like when I got to see Jesus. And uh, I just picture him coming as like with this book, with all my sorrows and this big bottle. Um, and just kind of throwing it on the ground and ripping the book apart and saying, hey, now you're with me. There's no need for any more sorrow, any more tears, any more pain. And, uh, and God just really reassured me that he was there with me. And that there was a hope that, you know, that I needed to give my life to, to be living with that eternal perspective, the day where there would be no more sorrow, no more grief, no more tears. And, um, and I think those three, those three things really marked kind of my process of healing. And, you know, I really, of course, you know, I, I can't undermine the, the importance of fellowship there and being with loved people, loved uh, people, but, uh, that's when God really showed up. Wow, that is powerful. Uh, the Psalm fifty six eight thing, you know, I, that's one of the scriptures that I've kind of held on for a while, but I'd never thought about sharing that with somebody when they're going through one of those seasons either. Mm. Uh, I think I think that is a really powerful way to approach it because we forget that God does care sometimes. Yeah. With yeah. that, we are going to need to take a quick break. We've been getting to know Mateo, and when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more toward his ministry. Take your leadership to the next level. It's time for the Engaging Missions Leadership Minute. Good day. This is Scott McClellan with your Leadership Minute. Thanks for tuning in. Recently, the phrase came to my mind, your ambition lays a trap for your own feet. Now, this isn't just true of other people. Obviously, it's true of our personal ambition. I believe this is, uh, this is true. Some people say that ambition, uh, in some cases, is, is okay. Uh, others think perhaps it's suspect, and then there's the perspective that all ambition is wrong. Specifically here, I'm talking about human ambition, ambition that drives us to gain advantage over someone else for our own benefit. And we can, we can trust that selfishness is, uh, is never a good thing. Sometimes it's um, the result of an uninformed perspective. We don't want to consider thing from other, uh, things from other people's point of view. But ambition itself is that motivation that pushes us along to uh, achieve to be something, perhaps to uh, make something of ourselves. I want to call ambition into question for you today and, and ask you, 
what are you doing at this moment that is being driven by ambition? Ambition is not an exemplary behavior. Therefore, it is uh, working against true leadership in our lives. Ambition, don't trust it. This is Scott McClellan with your Leadership Minute. If you'd like to contact me or us, please do so at fxmissions.com or on most social media outlets at fxmissions. Have a good one. This has been the Engaging Missions Leadership Minute. If you have a leadership question, send it to feedback at engagingmissions.com. That's feedback at engagingmissions.com. Welcome back. We're here with Mateo. We've been spending a little bit of time getting to know him, and he shared some pretty powerful stories and insights with us. Now we're going to shift our focus, though, to his ministry on the University of Florida campus. Mateo, we know that you minister to students on the campus. What does that mean? What is it that you do there? Uh, well, Brian, you know, as, as you may or may not know, God has kind of uh, given us a unique time, I think, really in history when God is bringing the nations to our universities in America. Yeah. And as I think about the Great Commission and God's command to go to all nations, you know, make disciples of all the nations, and uh, and really the, the thought in Matthew 24 that it, it isn't until, you know, the message of the gospel is preached in all the nations that the end will come. Uh just our, our focus on, on university campuses is so strategic for the spread of the gospel, not only here in America, but worldwide. And so uh, what, we, what we're trying to do here on the campus is really, um, how can I explain, we, our, our mindset and our vision is we have these students who are kind of the cream of the crop, uh, both from America and people that are coming from all over the world, I believe we have about 130 or 140 nationalities hmm. represented on our campus. And we have these really smart, really intelligent people that are going to go get really good jobs all over the world and are going to have influence over a lot of people that uh, you and I might never have influence over. All right. And so what we're trying to do here is, as we've been learning some of these um kind of what God's been doing around the world and, and from some of the people that I've, I've heard you interview in the past, that, that God is really doing something in terms of church planting movements, of how can we equip people with simple reproducible tools mm-hmm. to share the gospel, make disciples, and plant healthy churches. And so uh, the really what we're, what we're doing here on the campus is we uh, have a, a vision to engage people from all over the world. Uh, we want to bring to Jesus Christ. And when we do, we want to equip them and train them in how to effectively engage those around them in gospel conversations. Uh, we believe that the harvest is plenty, like Jesus promised, but the workers are few. And as they start sharing the gospel, many of their peers will come to faith. We want to train them in how to uh, effectively disciple others in a way that is reproducible. And what we want to do is model a healthy form of church according to the book of Acts and what we see modeled in Scripture. And our heart is that every single one of the students that we get to work with 
will get a glimpse of what it looks like to be the church of Jesus Christ and to see that uh, it is something that anybody can can go back to, whether it be to a different to a different country where they came from, or once they go and job I work in an industry and and that they can do exactly what they're doing here on the campus, which is engaging people with the gospel, discipling those people, and forming groups uh, that that are healthy churches on the campus. They could graduate and do exactly the same thing in their neighborhoods, uh, their workplace, and Lord willing, many of them will go abroad and and hopefully take the gospel to where it's never been preached before, and they'll be able to replicate exactly what they what they've been trained to do here on the campus. And so, uh, we're we're praying and hoping to to catalyze a church planting movement among students that if God chooses to use it we could send out a bunch of catalysts all over the world. And so that's what I'm praying for. And we, we are, we're still far from it and we're, we're failing forward and just kind of learning from, from our mistakes. And, and uh, I'm just rejoicing when, whenever the Lord allows us to see, to see some fruit and some lives changed. So the, these students, you mentioned, I think it was 140 nationalities, something like that. Are yeah. any of these students from a, a nation or a place where we wouldn't be able to send a vocational minister or someone to intentionally plant a church? Yeah, absolutely right. And so we, we have, um, you know, people from all over the Middle East. Um, I know mm-hmm. of uh, last semester, some of the the folks here that are focused on, on reaching internationals, we got to lead an Iranian to Christ. Uh, so it's very wow. exciting. Um, we've gotten to engage some Saudis, um, so it'd be very difficult to get in there. Uh, we have a lot of people from from India, and so uh, I've been reaching out to different uh, Hindu uh, students that are some are from some hostile areas mm. within India, and so uh, you know really. It's it's just a huge opportunity. The cool thing is these guys are going to go back and they're going to have so much of a, you, you know, just an American degree. Mm-hmm. They're they're not going to be your kind of, they're going to have influence wherever they go back to. And so. Yeah. And, and there's something that I want to pull out of that for, for, for the listeners. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you've been maybe thinking or praying, how can, how could we ever get into a closed country? Uh, creative act, access country. No country is really closed with Christ, but uh, God is bringing them to us. He's given us a doorway yeah. to the places we can't get by sending their students here. And yeah. so if you're looking for a way to get involved, I'm not saying you should start start your own campus ministry or anything. <laughs> Just be aware that this yeah. might be something that God is calling you to, that this yeah. might be a way that you could... A- affect the life of someone in Syria, someone in Saudi Arabia, someone yeah. in Iran, Iraq, um, yeah. North Sudan, right? Yeah. All of these yeah. places that are really, really challenging. Yeah. Now, I do know that your degree is in engineering. How how did you make that transition to discipling students on campus? Yeah, well, you know, that was, a, that was quite a shift. You know, that wasn't, yeah. that wasn't the original plan. Um, but it's... Uh, Really, after after Catherine passed away, I I really started wrestling with 
with, yeah, what is it that you want me to do? Because, you know, the as I've been speaking, the whole mindset behind college ministries, you have these, these people that are going to be able to uh, gain access to, to spheres of influence that, that need the gospel and engineering will get you there. Mm-hmm. And so I really had to wrestle, God, do you want me to be one who is sent or stay back and do the sending? And as I, as I worked, uh, my my latest internship, I, I got to work for ExxonMobil, and and I just I, I really saw that there were a lot of um, there were a lot of Christians there. Uh, mm-hmm. Now all of them weren't as mission minded uh, as I believe they should be, um, but I I saw just it just happened to be that the time I graduated there, there was a particular need for workers on our campus, uh, across, not just within our church, but across different ministries. And I really started praying, God, what do you want me to do? And, and, and I started thinking about how Catherine, you know, I was talking to her and then she was gone. Yeah. And I started thinking, man, what if I'm gone? in a month or in a year or in two years. And really God just started putting an urgency for the great commission. And it came to a point I was evangelizing on campus one day. And, and usually um, one of the ways we, we, we start engaging people is as we get into conversation, we ask if, you know, hypothetically speaking, if you were to die today, right. would you go to heaven? I just started thinking, man, there's so many of these students uh, how they've been in Catherine's spot that the answer would be no. And I was just seeing that not enough people were willing to stay back and continue to do the sending. And I just thought it was so critical to engage here on the campus. And uh, here was I, a single guy. I didn't have a lot of student debt. Uh, uh, my parents were supportive and they're believers. And, and really I had the opportunity to, to do full-time campus ministry. And I said, God had allowed me to see fruit as a student leader. And I loved it. You know, I really loved being on campus. And so I said, um, well, I'm willing to do it. And, uh, and it wasn't really, it wasn't like a, a divine call. You know, I, I, to this day, I don't know that I heard like the voice of God, you know, uh, there was a lot of stuff God did to, to get me to make that decision. And now that I look back, I'm a hundred percent sure this is where God wants me. Hmm. That's but tough. as, you know, as I, as I made the choice, it was more, I see a need. I see that there are many people jumping up to fill it. I'm in a position where I can meet it and I'm willing to do it. And so, um, so I did. <laughs> so here I am. Yeah. So it was, uh, like my engineering degree was very, uh, it was more rational than, well, to some extent rational, but a very systematic approach, I guess you could say. 
That's that's cool. So we've we've got just a couple of minutes left okay. on this on this particular section. Okay. And you had mentioned that uh, recently, I guess you kind of lost your mind and took a bunch of college students to the Dominican Republic. But some yeah. really cool stuff came out of that. So would you yeah. share with us maybe one or two of the stories of what happened while you were there? Yeah, you know, so we we spent four weeks in the DR, uh, essentially equipping our our students in in this reproducible process. Like I said. Uh, of disciple making and and church planting, and I would say, that just an overall in just four weeks, what God allowed us to see was uh, we got to lead forty one people to Christ while we were there. But the cool thing was that our emphasis was in immediately equipping those saints to do the work of ministry. So we immediately equipped them how to share their story and God's story. And just in that short time span that we were there, of those 41 we led to Christ, that group led another 13 people to Christ. Wow. And uh, yeah, yeah, that that was just amazing that we got to see 13 second-generation believers uh, in just such a short amount of time. And uh, and so it was just amazing to see, you know, we had some uh, people that just finished their freshman year. And here's this girl, you know, she's 19, 20, and she's getting to to see, oh, man, I led six, seven people to Christ, and some of them are turning around and leading others to Christ. Uh, you could just see their eyes opening to, to Jesus' promise of saying, man, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. And um, I, I, I was just uh, a really neat opportunity to, to see that unfold. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that, that's really cool. That's powerful. So, forty-one first generation, then thirteen second generation believers in the course of four weeks. That's with, right. With a bunch of college students from Florida. That well, we had it was a crew from Florida and from NC State. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's so, great. Yeah. So we we are going to go ahead and take a quick break. We've been talking okay. about your ministry. Now, when we return, we're going to shift our focus more toward our listeners. Sounds good. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Mission Show. Well, first of all, we had to be accepted by the mission board, and um, we had to go through a lot of testing and uh, psychological evaluations and all kinds of things like that. That took us a year and a half. One of the most difficult things is, is was raising support, uh, because before we could leave, we had to be fully funded, mm-hmm. and that was difficult at times, and sometimes we could just not see the money coming in, and uh, so it was a little discouraging, but... Just an example of one time we went and spoke in a church. We were asked to go. We went, and we of course, you know, not every time you go to speak, your the church decides to support you. Yeah. And in this case, they didn't. And um, it was a very expensive trip to get there. And I remember saying to my husband, you know, why would God send us there? And it, it was expensive to go there. But then we got home and. And an envelope was in in the mail, and it was from a man that I had met on my first trip to Haiti when I went on the mission trip. And he said, God told me to mail this check to you. And the amount of the check was the, the same amount of money we had spent to go speak in that church. And those were those little reminders. God says, I've got this. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. 
That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. If you're enjoying the Engaging Missions show, would you consider partnering with us? You can do that by telling people about the show or by donating to help cover the cost of the show. Visit engagingmissions.com slash partner to learn more. All right, we are back with Matteo, and we are in the home stretch. We've gotten to know him. We've learned a little bit about his ministry and how he took an entire group of college students down to the Dominican Republic. Now we're going to take one last shift. We're going to start learning from his expertise as we put our focus on you as the listener. Now, Matteo, what would you say, knowing that, well, let me reframe that. Most of the people who are connected to this show are ministering in the marketplace. They're called into the marketplace here in the U.S. and in the broader North America. Most of them care about missions, but they're not feeling specifically called to missions. Mm -hmm. What would you say to somebody who does feel called into the marketplace, but they're starting to wonder if what they do in business really matters for the kingdom? Yeah, man, I would say it absolutely matters. And like I just said, the, the whole vision behind reaching out to university students is that we're going to get to work with people that are eventually going to get to where you're at right now. And so I would say, you know, if you, if you are missional in your workforce, you know, you, if you just look around, you're probably surrounded by people who are far from God, by people who might never step into a church service or a church event. I was just talking to a friend um, who labors in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, who was saying in the north side of Raleigh, uh, 80% of people are uninvitable to church or any church event. Really? Yeah, 80%, which is just mind-blowing. So if if you think about, man, if we're going to reach, let's say, Raleigh, which there's a lot of industry there and a lot of young people are going there, uh, and you're like, man, we're going to reach them by inviting people to church or a church event, the the reality is... Uh, we are not. And the fact is, I, I've heard the stat being thrown out that uh, in the U.S. as a whole, it's a little lower than that. It's a 60% of people are uninvitable to church. And so I would say you are in the trenches, and the people that are around you desperately need Jesus. And, and if you just look around, you will see that, that people are, um, you know, they're just drowning in life. They're going through the motions. That, that was my experience when I worked at Exxon and a craft, hmm. it was people just kind of, they live to work and, and they don't know the joy of knowing Jesus. And, and I believe wherever you're at, that God has strategically placed you uh, just so that you might tell those around you about his son and what, what he did for us. So when you share uninvitable to church, can you share a little bit more about what that means? Yeah, that means like, and, and, and you probably relate to this as I say that, and you know, you can probably think through your friends of, man, who have I invited to church and has never come, you know? And so what I mean is think of all the people you would say, Hey, we're having this great event at church and you go through all your friends and nobody wants to come or, uh, you know, if you invite 10 people, maybe two will come and that's your 80%. And so by that, I mean, there are people in the U S that have made up their mind. They, they have um, looked at Christianity um, correctly or incorrectly. You know, they, they have a, a certain perception of who we are and what we're like. And they have made a judgment call and have decided to want nothing to do with our churches. And that is to our shame, you know. 
Uh, but that's just the reality we live in. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't, you know, we have churches, at least in Gainesville, we have a lot of churches. Uh, but people are knocking on our doors to come in. And it's not because the churches aren't trying to get people in. It's because people don't want to go to church. You know, they know the churches are there. Uh, and the marketing is happening. So what that means is uh, across the U.S., the the status six out of ten people will will have already decided that they will not go to your church with you uh, if your church has a picnic chances they will not go if your church throws a movie night they will not go they they are not interested in in church and what that has to offer however uh, if you if you look at people's perspective of Jesus, man, everybody loves Jesus. Everybody's opening to, to hearing about Jesus and everybody's open to hearing what Jesus has done in your life, man. There's nothing more powerful Hmm. than if you are constantly joyful at your work, you, you work hard, you have a good work ethic. Uh, you genuinely care for your coworkers. You ask them, um, how they're doing. Uh, you pray for them. You let them know you're praying for them. And you just, you're open to them. You tell them how Jesus has changed your life. You know, just share your story. Um, and, and man, that, the, the world needs it. And, and I think you are in a strategic place to reach those who are far from God. Um, so. So in a similar vein, what would you share with someone who looks up and they begin to realize that the, the face of the nation, if you will, is beginning to change, that perhaps their neighbors or their coworkers or the, the people in their community that they're going to the grocery store with are coming from other religions, perhaps other countries or places we might have even considered just a few years ago, a place where only a missionary can go? Yeah. You know, I would say, uh, you know, just the mission is here, <laughs> you know, there's no, you know, I, I, as I consider what the Lord wants me to do long-term, uh, often I, uh, you know, I'm told, Hey, you know, a lot of times people want to go abroad, but it's like, they're not reaching out to internationals here. So what makes you think crossing the Atlantic is gonna, <laughs> is gonna make you effective at doing it when you don't do it right here. So I would say, man, the, the work to be done is right here. Uh, you know, we're getting refugees yeah. uh, all over, you know, from all over the world are coming into your city. Uh, and I would just say, man, these people are, are hungry for relationships. A lot of them don't know the language. There's a lot of practical needs that we can, uh, we can meet and we can love on people and just uh, really show them Jesus. And, and just start developing friendships and, and let them know about the God we serve. And, and you know, this is particular with, with college students, but, you know, uh, like if you happen to live near a, a college area, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Most students, one of their greatest desires is to see what an American household looks like. And it's crazy. I, I believe this, that it's almost like nine out of ten uh, visiting scholars or international students go back to their country without ever having stepped into an American home. Wow. Uh, and so I would say to you, even man, maybe you're in a, in an area that's has a lot of international students. Even that is such an opportunity. People are hungry for it. 
And just by sharing a meal with people, uh, you might be able to develop a friendship that could lead to, to you know, how do you believe in Jesus? Yeah. So, Do you have an internet resource, maybe a tool that you use or something like that that you could recommend for our listeners? Yeah, you know, lately I've been utilizing a lot of um, Steve Addison's website, movements.net. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that is just a, a great resource and just practical training, uh, how to engage people in the gospel, how to make disciples, and even just to hear um, stories of some of these practitioners that are putting some of these principles into action. Yeah. Uh, so he's got a lot of resources there of just how to, yeah, how to effectively get trained to engage the people around you. Yeah. Did you know that he's got a new book coming out in December? I had heard about that. I'm excited about it. Yeah. I I think it's going to be sort of an extension of the previous books that he's written. So I I think that's going to be really exciting. Oh, yeah. um, On the subject of books though, do you have a book that you'd recommend for our listeners? Yeah. You know, I, it's more of a, it's kind of a little booklet Mm -hmm. that changed my life while I was in college and it's called think of your future. Um, by William McDonald. And it, uh, yeah, it just really challenges you to think of your future, make your life count. And, and I would say, I would attribute that, that booklet. It's, it's not a hard read at all. That will really make you question, what are you living for? And I would say it was fundamental in, in getting my heart right towards the great commission. Good deal. And for those of you listening, this will be linked up along with the, everything else in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Mateo. That's M-A-T-E-O for Mateo. Now, Mateo, we're almost done. Would you share with us maybe one last piece of advice and the best way for someone to connect with you? Then we'll say goodbye. Yeah, I the, the advice I had in mind was kind of what we've been talking about already, but Colossians 4, 5 comes to mind. It says, Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. And, uh, you know, I would just say the same thing that uh, Jesus said to his disciples in in John 4 when he led the Samaritan woman to himself. He said, you know, you say four four months until the harvest. I say, look up your eyes. You know, the harvest is ready. And so I would really say... um, Make the most of every opportunity. Know that there are people far from God all around you. And I really believe God has strategically placed you wherever you are, that you might bring the message of Jesus uh, to those in, you know, who are near to you. And um, so don't, don't take it for granted. And uh, I'd say probably best way to reach me would be via email. Okay. And so you can reach me at ECHE. 144 at gmail.com. Okay. And again, all of that will be linked up in the show notes at engagingmissions.com slash Mateo. Mateo, thank you so much for being here. This has been an amazing pleasure. It's been just wonderful to get to know you and to hear what God's done in your life. I really appreciate you taking the time and doing this for us. Thank you, Brian. It's been, it's been a pleasure. It's been an, an honor for me. So I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this, along with show notes, by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. 
If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. Audio editing was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studio. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.